Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. In order to fill us in on all that has happened this week, I'm joined by our editor, Megan Taggett. Hi, Megan. How are you? Hey, Allison. Doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you. And reporter Matthew Bennett is also joining us on the Zoom call. Matthew, thank you so much for joining on The Upload this week. Thank you all. It's a great uh, pleasure to be here as always. Okay, it's getting bad out there. Picking County has never had so many positive COVID-19 cases as we are currently sitting at. Matthew, you listened to the Board of Health um, get this news and react to it yesterday. Give me a, a sense besides just doom and gloom. What are, are some of our actual numbers? Absolutely. I think a big message that epidemiologist Josh Vance um, communicated yesterday was that Pitkin County residents are really infecting other Pitkin County residents, right? It's not this big jurisdictional thing. It's, it's very local. And that's what I think is so uh, worrisome. And, you know, you're seeing an incidence rate of 287, which he said that's the highest it's been. I mean, that's the highest it's been. He had this interesting metric of um, basically a 0.47 positivity rate within Pitkin County. And that translates to about one out of 217 people being infected with this virus. And you can't help but think if you're standing in a ski lift line or you're at a crowded place, uh, you know, 217 people might seem like a lot, but it's really not when you think of, I think of college football back in Louisiana, that's 100,000 people on a Saturday. So if you put that into perspective, it's, it's, um, it's scary and 56 cases in the last 14 days. So so that incident rate, that means that's current. That's how many people uh, of those who are tested, that's the percent that they're coming back and say and testing positive. And that's one of those metrics that we're trying to keep below a certain number. Well, and per usual, right? There's not an easy snapshot of this data in the way that one would expect, right? Like I'm looking at the charts on, on uh, the COVID-19 stats on that dashboard. Uh, I do believe that that 0.4% 6% prevalence rate that is being estimated right now is a snapshot of Picking County residents since the pandemic came into our sphere, right? Um, which, and I've heard public, uh, public health professionals talk about this over and over again. On the one hand, it's a very double-edged sword. On the one hand, that's great, right? That's a, that means that a relatively low number of people in Picking County have had COVID-19 in a confirmed capacity. On the other hand, though, that means that our county still has an incredibly high vulnerability to it because while we still don't know much about the immunity of this virus, more research is coming out every day and has been for the last several months on what immunity actually might look like and what do antibodies really mean. But if you've never had it, uh, you don't have any chance to find out what kind of immunity you may or may not have. And so a low prevalence rate in a community is very much a double-edged sword. Yay, we did a nice job with containment, um, but that also means that there's a really, really high vulnerability out there um, should an outbreak happen. We don't have any sort of um, immunity that we know of. There's a very low number of people who would have antibodies. Um, so that's what that means for right now. And again, there's all kinds of, as people are looking at the numbers, like don't ever beat yourself up if you're not sure on what a number means or you're know, or you looking at conflicting information. The state information, the state Corona dial projects different numbers, and it certainly did early on, than what the county is 
showing, right? And that's because there's about a week backlog between the county's reporting and the state getting that reporting and updating its numbers. So, you know, for instance, when I'm looking at, um, when I'm looking at November 11th, uh, right here on the COVID dashboard, you know, it's showing that there were five positive confirmed positives that day and 62 case totals in the previous 14 days, right? And so that's a little different than the number you just said, Matt, because I'm guessing you were looking at the state. So it's uh it's it's definitely still convoluted, you know, we're we're looking at um, you know, I hate to use the term second wave as it were, because I don't really think that we ever got off our first one um, just as a nation. But as we're you know, having these conversations again, and COVID-19 is dominating conversation again, um, you know, the numbers still aren't crystal clear because the data aren't presented from one unifying uh, party, as it were. Well, obviously, one way to get some of that data a little more clear is to have community-wide testing. We talked about this a lot last week. Uh, we thought we'd have it in hand this week. We'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast. I don't want to breeze over something you brought up, Matt, which is... Um, Josh Vance's statement that this is picking County residents infecting picking County residents. So this is a new narrative for all the months that we've talked about COVID-19 on this podcast. It's been a, we, we had kind of evidence that it was outside of the community. It was travelers. It was the Texans. It was the weekenders bringing COVID-19 here, but picking County residents were pretty good about their self-isolation and, and following the mask mandates and all those things. Now we have no one to blame. We are in, you know, as dead as off season is going to get this year. And um, I, I think Pickett County already tried to, to point out, hey, it's you guys mingling that's causing the problem by, by getting us down to two households, party sizes of five with no enforceability and people absolutely racked for wanting to socialize. Clearly that hasn't, that hasn't helped anything. I mean, Picking County residents now have to look in the mirror. You know, it's interesting because the state, they makes these charts that are color coded, like we're in elementary school <laughs> and they make the, the reporting about, um, you know, Harvard uh, level metrics, it seems that are confusing. And I feel like, you know, the big conversation that seems to get lost in all of this um, legislation that can't be enforced is, you know, we know you should wear a mask, you know, so why aren't people doing that? Um, you know, it, it's just it's frustrating because they can point to all these metrics, but the way I would explain it to somebody is if you look at the cases, you can call it a wave, you can call it whatever you want. Think about going up on a roller coaster when you're going up and it's going do, 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 do. And don't think about a little one at the carnival. I'm talking about the Goliath at Six Flags. And it just keeps going, 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 going up. And it's not showing any sign of dropping at any point. So the whole time right now, you're feeling this anxiety, this scared, and it doesn't look like there's going to be a payoff of fun at any time. <laughs> and I think what they said yesterday or what I heard um, someone say is, you know, this Thanksgiving and this Christmas might suck. It might be difficult. But you know what? If you allow your loved ones to maybe who are older, stay home you know, maybe they'll actually be at the table next year instead of not, you know, so it's all these numbers, all these boards meeting, frankly, it can be frustrating because people aren't tuning into them. And there's a reason, um, you know, they can pat themselves on the back all they want, that they're attending meetings and that they're on top of it. But I think the data might speak otherwise. And um, I think the message is that they're trying to enforce sometimes 
Um, you know, instead of saying, hey, go down from 10 to five, why don't you put out a PR message about how um, if you don't do this, your family might go down to five next year. So it just seems like the messaging is um, presenting, I mean, even among journalists, more confusion. And at what point do you just straight shoot, hey, do this and maybe we won't have any cases, you know, I don't know. And we've kind of had the sense that uh, the community spread was growing because you both uh, reported that our schools have gone back to all virtual learning after trying um, not that long ago to do some in-person, some staggered in-person learning. Our, our public um, gym facility has had to reduce down. We have three facilities. Um, we're down to one because their staff is down so much because so many people who work for the recreation center have been told to quarantine. So we're getting hints of these news pockets of the, the institutions in our community that are being affected. It's kind of actually not that big of a surprise that we're being told Hey guys, it's actually, it's getting bad. It's bad. I should just say it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Not By the way, we're recording on Friday the 13th. Welcome to the upload. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I did listen yesterday in on the morning meeting, Matt covered the health board in the afternoon. And um, so we sort of tag teamed that. And I listened to the business community meeting that ACRA hosted at 10 AM. And that was something that I found really interesting. You know, when, as for the, um, the business owners who spoke up, they were especially in the restaurant industry, you know, the Wendy Mitchell, um, you know, Michael Goldberg to some extent, right? They both were pretty vocal about, do we need to just shut down? Like we would much rather shut down right now in November than be told we have to shut down in the middle of December. Um, and so, you know, there was a palpable fear in that regard. And, you know, the lodging community, Bob Morris mentioned um, from the Aspen Mountain in that uh, he was looking at 60% of uh, occupancy capacity anyway, just okay. because of the market. You know, there are no international travelers coming in. You know, a lot of domestic travelers have already canceled. And so he said, you know, regardless of the public health order, hotels and lodging are not going to be anywhere near capacity this winter. Um, and I thought that was interesting too. So, you know, there is that, that, that interesting balance right now between public health orders and manda mandating closures versus, you know, we don't really know what the market is going to look like. And it's so strange to me that in one breath, you know, the hotel and lodging community is saying, listen, we're not going to be, we're, we're floating around 60% anyway. But at the mm. same time, County Manager John Peacock is saying that there's more bookings for Thanksgiving this year than there was last year. So again, we don't have that clear data, uh, which is hard to make policy, right, off of guesses or out of conflicts. Um, so Matt, Megan is saying that 60% occupancy number, what we were told in order to put this virus in check locally, uh, because we've gone from up, up our little red, yellow, orange map uh, to this to this cautionary level is that right now, I, I mean, like start within a week and I, and I don't even know why they're giving them a week. Starting on Wednesday, restaurants need to be down to 25% capacity indoors. What are some of the other pu public health orders that they're looking at? Yeah, I'm glad you brought the 25% number, I think is the best way, probably the easiest way for people to look at it, you know, just think of everything with the exception of the schools, the schools where things are a little, um, and Megan can speak a lot better to that than I can. Um, but that's where restaurants, you know, 50 to 25, um, you're also going to see gyms, places of worship, uh, that sort of thing. So 
you know, and it was interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the timeline a bit because, you know, Megan, when um, you were in that meeting yesterday, it was interesting because you said the county hadn't said, hey, you know, we're moving into the orange on Wednesday. You know, they're <laughs> going to have this town hall. And they claim that they didn't know for sure until after the meeting and before the Board of Health meeting, because when we questioned them as to why they didn't make that explicitly clear, and I think it goes back to, again, there's just confusion. I mean, the timeline was they got a warning letter on the 3rd, then they're going to meet with the state on the 10th, and then they're going to have another meeting on Monday, and then it's going to go into effect on Wednesday, but <laughs> it's just, it's goofy. It's a little goofy, frankly, but uh, yeah, Allison, to answer that question, it's mainly 25%. Um, you're going to see that. And, um, the, you know, I think the big talking point is, though, if you look at the safer at home where it is, you obviously have the level one cautious, that's blue, level two, that's yellow concern. And now we're moving into the high risk orange. But, you know, after that high risk orange, you hit red and that's stay at home. So, um, yeah, they're really saying double down and, um, it's a trend too that we should point out, you know, it's nationally, but particularly yeah. in the middle of, you know, the, the Western states and the countries are where it's getting hit really hard right now. But you look at the coasts and it's, it's, it's less and uh, we're just right in the middle of it. So it's, they're really doubling down. And, you know, to Matt's earlier point about, yeah, we're moving into orange next week, but red is a full blown year back at home. Um, 43 out of 64 counties in the state of Colorado are in red. So wow. this, is, this is very real. This is not some sort of existential threat. 43 out of 64 counties in the state are, are in the red stay at home order right now. And many of them neighboring Pitkins. I mean, obviously I got into a, a career of words, not numbers, but can I throw out some math there? If you're a restaurant who can only have 25% capacity, my guess is no restaurant makes their bottom line on being at hundred percent capacity all day, every day. But still, if you were to do the math, if you can make it with only 25% of your restaurant full, that means at hundred percent, you were making 75% overhead, right? Like there's no way and whatever, how, however botched my math was just there. There's no way to make a profit at 25% mandated capacity as a business in this town. Not with our rents. And the other thing too, that, um, you know, everyone I know who's ever been in the restaurant industry, especially as a proprietor will be the first one to tell you, you don't make money off of food. You make it off of alcohol. And one of the other things that's going to happen on Wednesday is our 11 PM, uh, last call is going to be, is going to be back down to 10. Um, so it's, it's tough. This is tough. I think too, another way of looking at it is um, just servers. If you have a four table section, usually at hundred percent capacity um, and that shift, you're making a hundred bucks. Now you're going to make 25. That sucks. Right. And I know I really liked that story you did, Matt, when you were bringing that, you know, I think there's so much conversation from when we talk about the business community, we talk about the business owners and how they're hurting. And I really liked, I, I don't remember when you did that story. I feel like it was a couple of weeks ago, but I think that yours was kind of the first one that really brought in that in real numbers and that real lived experience of the servers. Cause you're right. I mean, imagine if you've got four tables 
And then all of a sudden you have to live on one. That doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. I'm, I'm not a cheap date. And I know that nobody's living off of, I'm a generous tipper and not a cheap date. And no one, no server in this town is living off of just my tip. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's wild. So we also learned a little bit more about how um, the Aspen Skiing Company will be regulating its numbers, um, both going up and down the mountain this winter. Before I get to that, though, it, it, to me, it kind of, as selfishly, my only question is, how do I stay on the mountain all winter? But there's this other aspect of all these things we're talking about today that make me think it actually doesn't matter if Skiko is able to stay open if the town closes, right? Like, will we see people coming to ski if they can't also shop and eat? Um, and, and especially if there's nowhere to stay, if they really clamp down on some of those Airbnb and, and lodging numbers. Um, for instance, the city, the city council won't let retailers have outdoor space this winter. It was discussed and they were allowed to this summer, but with snow plowing and, and trying to reduce gatherings and trying to reduce, you know, energy consumption and these heated parking spots, essentially retailers are not, are going to, are going to have to only let people in at whatever amount we're allowed at whatever current public health order we're on. And so I think, you know, we're talking a lot about restaurants, but also the shops around here. I just don't, I already don't see how people are going to make it through. <laughs> I, I wish I could offer some sort of words of wisdom on that. I thought your story was really interesting today, Allison. Um, you know, speaking to, you know, Matt getting the, the perspective of the server in addition to the restaurant owner, you really brilliantly, I thought, put out a survey on our Instagram just to get to people who were willing to speak candidly about their perspective on what is the mountain going to look like this year and what, what are the pass options. Um, and in that story, though, one of the things that really struck me the most had nothing to do with pass options. You, it was in an interview you had with a former hops manager and he had mentioned how expensive propane is. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had never thought of that. So at the same time that all of these, you know, and shops don't even have that option anymore, right. what you said, but, you know, at the same time that we're managing reduced revenues from capacity cutoffs, they also have the added expense of heating up winter outside in Colorado. <laughs> um, so I, I, I just, it was, it's always interesting when we have the opportunity to tap in to the community voices, the people who are on the ground that are keeping this town running. I'm just always so appreciative of that because they'll bring up the things that, you know, don't occur to you unless you're living that experience and you're living in that world. I'm so glad you point out that specifically because that's exactly why I included it in the articles because it was one element that I had not thought about at all either. And yeah, so you have to start doing the math again, right? If if you can get 10 more tables by having a heated outdoor space, but five of those tables don't count because all they're doing is paying for the propane to allow them to sit there, you're, you're back at these really risky numbers. I will say, you know, the summer we, we were at reduced capacity somewhat. Um, we didn't have as much to do. We definitely didn't have the festivals and the, and the conferences and the gatherings. And yet people still came, you know, people were happy to be on their e-bikes, to be taking the, the bus up to the bells. And so that's where I maybe see a glimmer of hope or just still some, like having lived here as long as I have, uh, un unable to predict Will people be so sick of their own towns that they still want to go somewhere? And so going to Aspen and doing nothing, it's still a worthy vacation for them, even without being able to eat at meat and cheese, even without being able to go to Burberry and buy a new bag, will we still have the visitor numbers? And, but if we do, and they're not spending money, does it actually help the local economy? 
I mean, my hope is that yes, right? Like my hope is all around. Yes, yes, yes. Because at this end of the day, maybe this is me being the optimist, but at the end of the day, I think that Aspen, one of the things that benefits our local economy it so much is the brand that is Aspen, right? As long as Aspen maintains its brand as a destination, even, and perhaps because of a pandemic, mm. then I think that that has lasting power that will continue to fuel our immediate survival and then future prosperity. Maybe that's, that's my hope. And as long as the mountain stays open, we actually, without any Eat like commerce happening in town. Um, and, and I'm not trying to say that our businesses aren't important. If the mountain stays open. There is something to do, right? There is a reason to come. And so I think that's why all eyes are on the Aspen Snowmass, um, the Aspen Skiing Company plan is in front of CDPHE right now. So they have laid out when and how they're going to sanitize every gondola, when and how they're going to make that line, the maze leading up to the lift lines, socially distance. They're, they've given all of that over to the Department of Public Health to approve or not approve. Um, and to, to try and stay open. We actually don't have that okay yet. We have no reason to think that we won't get the okay being that other statewide resorts have opened. I will say the county's health regulations are woven into that approval. And so when I spoke with Jeff Hanley for the ski pass story, he said, well, we've been working with the county all along. We're proud that Picking County has usually gone a step further than state mandates in a lot of cases, including like this um, household order right now. Uh, so we think we'll be fine. Well, the next day we hear that Picking County is is as bad as it's ever been. So if if the ski co is relying on Picking County residents to maintain their health in order to be deemed a safe resort, then we we have this battle where we might be shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic for sure. And as you said, like when you first opened today's conversation and you said selfishly, you were just thinking about how do you stay on the mountain? I thought to myself, that's not selfish at all. That's perfect. That's exactly the only question that SkiCo representatives are asking themselves. And I have to say, like I said, I, I'm certainly not a PR flack for SkiCo, but <laughs> all in all, I am so impressed. I, I'm a fan. If, if I had been a source in your story today, Allison, I would have been the cheerleader being like, no reservation system, fewer blackout dates than I anticipated. I'm all in right now. Like I do not envy those guys at all for the for the hurdles they're trying to navigate right now and as long as the mountain is open i think you're absolutely right that in and of itself will be a draw regardless of everything else the no reservations is huge and i do think we're one of the you know of all the resorts that we name in the same breath as aspen no matter what we're reporting on i think we're one of the few without a reservation so that's huge it also seems like the safest thing and, and again not to to try and build out um anyone coming here and, and taking up space on my mountain <laughs> this winter but uh you know if, if you aren't skiing and then you're then you're having a house party kind of period and i don't mean to be like totally ignorant as to people's um levels of safety and rule following, but, but two households happens to meet like the moment you see one other person, you're at, you're at your capacity, right? So for holidays, for, for just a snow day, you know, if, if you didn't get the full pass and your four-year-old wants to play with another kiddo on a Saturday afternoon, instead, you know, you're, you're bringing, you're containing gatherings if you're not out on the mountain skiing. So I really do think having that recreation option and that distance option is gonna, it should be part of our health strategy. Oh, I totally agree. And Matt, I mean, this, this just only proves the point that this is the winter you're getting on a mountain. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I just stay at the bottom of the hill. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why y'all do it without the bar. That's what I can't. <laughs> I don't. I don't get that. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I went skiing when I was a little kid in Park City, and okay. I, I, it was I just totaled, and I, um, <laughs> I haven't been back since. And my brother, matter of fact, he is a lot older than me, but just as uh, klutzy, he <laughs> went down the mountain and crashed into the thing, I guess. And we're just, yeah, we're just, I don't know if it's, I, I like tubing. Tubing is fun. Tubing is I, fun. And and may I suggest for the Bennett boys then um, uphill skiing, which the Aspen Snowmass Resort is going to keep open if you want to be impressed by my transitions on the upload. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> Uh, because Aspen, Aspen Snowmass has always been known for having a really lenient uphill policy. That's people who are not paying whatsoever to use the mountain, get on the hill, use the groomed runs and ski back down them. They're putting more bodies on the hill. They're putting um, two-way traffic on the hill, which in itself is inherently more dangerous than one-way traffic. Um, and they're not necessarily paying. I do think a lot of locals who love uphilling also by the pass, right? But but this year, especially as we spoke to so many locals who think those pass options are just out of they're priced out this year, they can actually still get on the resort every single day by walking their butts up. And so um, that's a really interesting to me that with all that Skiko is doing to keep people away from the mountain, they're not saying don't hike up it. Which I personally really, again, appreciated <laughs> um, just because, because you're right. I mean, to your earlier point, skiing in so many ways is the perfect or snowboarding, right? But being on a mountain is in the wintertime, one of the kind of perfect pandemic proof sort of options. You're outdoor, you naturally are wearing a mask. Thank you, know? you, I agree. <laughs> yes, right. You're naturally bundled up. You know, I I, I love the, the jokes early on about how fencing was the perfect pandemic sport, right? You're keeping six feet apart. And if anyone violates that, you get to stab them. <laughs> it's sort of very similar with skiing, especially skiing. We have ski poles, you know, but um, it is, it's naturally distanced. It's naturally outdoors. You know, you're, you're wearing a mask. There's, you know, barring when you're warming up, you know, in the ski lodge, which they've already come up with a lot of alternatives for. Um, but it is about as safe as it gets. So going back to that branding and, and Aspen, I'm hoping that this winter will be a good winter, at least in the collective psyche of, wait a minute, this is the thing that I can do that's safe right now. This is, I am going to dedicate some time to getting back onto the mountain and finding that passion or cultivating it, you know? I think just to wrap everything together, I mean, we, the unknown of this week, like when we go back and look at the Friday, the 13th episode of the upload, once we know what January and February ended up looking like, I just think this is so pivotally unknown. You're a restaurant right now. And you know, starting Wednesday, you're down to 25% capacity, but you don't know if that's for the rest of the season or not. I mean, I, I don't know the industry that well, but I would think right now is when you're starting to create your menus and put in orders. You know, if you, if you have rainbow trout on the menu this year, wherever you're ordering that from, you, you need to be first in line and you don't know if you should get 10 a month or a hundred. And, and these are real costs that you better have. And put. like, if we do open back up right during Christmas weekend, when we're at our, our busiest weekend of the year in Aspen, you better have that trout in hand. You don't want to pay for it right now, mid-November, not knowing if you're going to be open or not and have food you can't sell. So I'm just wondering how many restaurants are, are going to close for a month as they wait it out 
to, mm -hmm. to try and reduce expenses or put in a lot of um, pre-planning money that, that eventually goes nowhere. If we do get shut down, I just think it's. Yeah, you have the mountain. I mean, that's not going to go anywhere, obviously, but that's a really great point, Alice, because I mean, how do they know what they're going to sell tonight, let alone tomorrow? And, and, oh man, yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and these, the plans they make too, you know, as we see some of the restaurants doing these kind of beautiful tents outside that are for single people. I mean, that's still very expensive. That's the heating bills are expensive. And we have these shoulder seasons, I guess, to get ready. And if you're not really sure how to get ready, it's like, you know, that's, that's gotta be just so tough. And yeah. just to keep adding feel good, uh, sentiments, <laughs> piling on feel good sentiments. I just got an email after attempting to make an appointment at the drive-through testing site after, um, finding out that I've had a known exposure and uh, experiencing a bit of a cold earlier this week, I tried to get tested and I got an email back saying just now we have received your submission for COVID-19 testing at the drive-through testing locations at the Salt Clinic. We currently do not have any more appointments available for the remainder of the week. Other available testing resources include Mountain Family Health Center, Roaring Fork Neurology, and Mid-Valley Family Practice. So that is not an option apparently. And that's the one thing, right? That's part of the containment strategy is knowing what we're dealing with and keeping people who are infected home, letting them know they're infected. I know we were about to wrap up, but look at you reminded me that we didn't talk about something. I'm keeping you guys for five more minutes here. Matthew, we both, I reported last week when the county announced that they were proud of these in total 8,000 tests that were going to come for the community. They, they tried to brag about that again this week. I don't, we don't have a community testing site. So where's this disconnect? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Allison. Um, you know, the county had been talking about, or at least the Board of Health, uh, having lengthy conversations about these testing uh, from third parties in executive session. And we finally just came to light during, a, I believe it was a county work session. Yeah, but long story short, uh, we found out that on Halloween, uh, the county evidently ordered 6,000 curative tests and 3,000 Binax now. And then again, on election day, they placed another order for 5,000 curative and 4,000 Binax. And, um, you know, they're hoping to do 23,500 to 26,000 tests a year. Um, so I think they have 3,000 to date. So that brings them up to like right around 21,000. But the numbers are meaningless in a way, because when we try and ask when the tests are going to arrive, we can't get a straight answer. I think... Um, we heard that so far maybe 20% had arrived and there was just other than we expect them soon, you know, soon, depending who you ask could be 10 days or millions of years. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's weird that they don't have a certain date that, you know, when you place this number of orders, because you can't help but think back in the day when there was such a shortage of PPE, I remember speaking to fire chiefs who said, some of them lost money because they went to these third party vendors and they never even got the PPE. Oh so, God. you know, how much are they spending on these without knowing for certain when they're going to arrive? It's just, you know, hopefully they do come in and hopefully they come in in a timely manner. But when we're hearing more and more about how many people um, or how much testing is booked up, it's just need these tests, you know, <laughs> <laughs> testing one, too. Like, I mean, when are they coming in? It's a shame that it was such a brief window because the schools have, have, of course, gone back to virtual learning, but I was absolutely convinced that the only way to get 
a test as an adult who's not a frontline first responder worker in, in Aspen, Colorado was to be a substitute teacher for the Aspen School District. So we have 3,000 in hand in a room somewhere. We have no policy for, for who gets to wait in well, line and get tested? No. I, so basically the, the 3,000 tests, it's our understanding that they've been distributed to Aspen Valley Hospital. And those are the tests that are being used at the drive-through basalt site, which evidently they are going to go five days a week is my understanding now. But again, things are changing so fast, who knows, you know, but that's where those um, tests are right now. And again, those are the curative, the oral swab ones. This morning when I found out that I have been exposed directly to COVID, um, I decided, oh, I really, really need to like expedite. So that's when I reached out and uh, filled out the form on Aspen Valley Hospital's um, uh, website in order to get an appointment, which is all you need to do the basalt drive-through testing site and okay. just got the email saying, too bad, so sad. <laughs> Okay. And um, again, I, we spoke about it. I'm not sure if it made the final cut of the upload last week, but we do have a private doctor in town, Dr. Kim Levin, who has helped to bring these $99 tests to Aspen. Um, they are booked out through, uh, again, we're on Friday the 13th right now through the 23rd is what I've heard. If you call to get a test, that's how long it'll take before you can even go get the test, which again, if you are sick and symptomatic right now, I think it feels like we're right back at those very first days where, yep, we don't know if you have it or not. And, and why does it matter? Stay home. If you're sick, stay home. Exactly. Matthew Bennett, Megan Tackett, thank you so much for joining me on the upload this week. Thank you so much, Allison. I look forward to the day where we talk about good news. <laughs> thank you.